Welcome to At The Whiteboard, the podcast for people who want to crush it at work. All right, and we're live. Oh, you're so nervous already. I am. Are you? But you, I used to watch you do <laughs> But you do so many presentations around the world. This is like just a presentation to a, a microphone. I'm better with a live audience, someone you can make. I'm alive. Con- well, yes, you are. But behind you are X number of people who are... It's true. Thousands and Sitting thousands in their office, driving down the highway, sitting That's on a true. train. It's true. So welcome, everybody. My name is Ruth Henderson. And uh, on behalf of my co podcaster Nicole North, who is on mat leave. I'm welcoming you to At The Whiteboard, which is our new name. If you are just stumbling across us now, we used to be called The Process of Things, Does Stuff Work? And we've rebranded to At The Whiteboard. It lines up beautifully with our blog and also our publication on medium.com. So we talk about process things. We talk about fixing things and crushing it at work and being great at what you do, whether it's leadership skills or um, employee engagement skills or managing your own career. Uh, sometimes we have technical, cool, technical tools, technical tools that we talk about, and other times we just have a chat. So today's going to be a little bit of both of those things. I have a guest today who you've already heard his dulcet tones, <laughs> <laughs> Brian Walsh from Structured Empathy. That's right. Uh, your own company, mm-hmm. and uh, he is somebody that I was introduced to through networking. And we chatted and hit it off, and he's an expert in, among other things, journey mapping. So um, I think you're going to enjoy this. We're going to talk about this new tool that I have never used. I've heard of it, but never used, and how it can help organizations and all kinds of different people get better at their customer service and their understanding the customer um, journey, really, through a process. That's right. Right. So, Brian, why don't we start off? Tell our thousands of listeners (laughs) driving down the highway a little bit about you and how you came to be doing what you're doing. It's a bit of a roundabout story, but the short version is uh, I'm an engineer, civil environmental engineer, Uh, worked in a consulting business for 10 years, went back to school almost 20 years ago, did a master's of engineering in internet working. Internet working? Internet working. All the technologies behind the scenes that make the internet work. I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, it's totally a thing. Internetworking, my new favorite term. Yeah. Okay. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, they say the civil engineering is the second oldest profession <laughs> after military ex- <laughs> engineering. Get your mind out of the gutter. Civil engineering was an oxymoron. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so, you know, this is kind of like the plumbing of the internet, the stuff that most people don't know about, care about, you know, no. how do the highways get built, how do the bridges get built, how do routers work, how does things connect, how yeah. does stuff work, does stuff work. Yeah, it does stuff work. And so, uh, yeah, sort of an IT degree that I did, and it included some uh, things about the public switch telephone network and other things. So when I got this degree, I started working in IT and worked for a call center company. We got acquired by Oracle after I was there for a few years. And so I was with Oracle for a total of 15 years. And the latter part of my time with Oracle, as they started doing more customer experience to augment CRM, for example, Oracle bought a whole bunch of companies that uh, and built out a marketing cloud and a sales cloud and an e-commerce cloud and a service cloud. And so I was introduced to a lot of the technology of the companies that we acquired. I learned journey mapping from one of those companies. Mm-hmm. And um, my role was to work with customers and sort of tell them what we did, tell the big story, how everything works together. Uh, and so that's you know how I was introduced to it about seven years ago. Um, I really enjoyed it. I found different ways to apply it with our customers. So I'd get in front of these organizations from all sorts of different parts of 
North America and globally in multiple different sectors. And I found out that this approach of customer experience journey mapping as part of a discipline of design thinking is something that could be applied to just about anybody. And that's really cool because I had heard of it and I literally did not know anything about it. I was trying to picture what it was. It Mm -hmm. sounded like, okay, so you're going to follow a customer through a process. And then I thought, but that's what process mapping is. Right. But it's not the same. No, uh, they tend to diverge. They're similar. They use similar tools. They have somewhat similar goals. But they tend to diverge because uh, journey mapping is all about focusing on customer expectation, their thoughts and attitudes. It requires empathy. It's at the core of it. And really it's about, okay, so what what does this other person, how do they view this process, this experience? All too often, different people inside an organization have some ownership or control over an element of the journey that the customers are on, Mm -hmm. but uh, they're not often looked at end-to-end systematically from the point of view of the person most impacted which is often the customer, student, patient, citizen, user. Or an internal customer, Internal maybe. customers, employee mapping has done a fair bit of that as well. Yeah, so um, so my I think I mentioned I did Six Sigma many moons ago, mm-hmm. Six Sigma Black Belt, very process-oriented. Mm-hmm. And in Six Sigma and Lean, you're taught to um, look at things from the perspective of the customer. Right. But all I've ever done with that is say, what it, what step does the customer take next? Right. And is that stuff easy or not easy? So can you expand a little bit more on the, the difference in the empathy piece and, and what that looks like? I'll give you an example. So, uh, you know, the two aspects of Lean, say Demaic and Demadvi, both included D for design. And, and when I was, did engineering 30 years ago, you know, you start with the design. Right. What does a customer actually need? What are we trying to achieve? And then you go off and build and test and do other things. But there's not much of an opportunity to loop back to that very first initial set of requirements. And all too often, the requirements that gathering that's done, there's a mutual education uh, loop that needs to be done, you know, to hear, here's, you know, you tell us what you need. And then as we discover what you need, we try to get a little bit deeper. Okay, I think I've got enough. Off I go. So a lot of processes don't loop back to that originally. So fast forward to an event I did with, the CI, um, with Citibank, actually, in New York. About four or five years ago, we were introducing journey mapping to them, and we used journey mapping to get their feedback on how uh, Oracle was developing a new app uh, with the hope and intent that they would see the methodology and want to know more. And sure enough, they did. So they invited us over to a session they were doing three weeks later in London, and we spent three days journey mapping the um, a team of people inside the bank who are going to use a new application that was being developed for managing brokers. Like brokers are going to use this okay. tool, several thousand of them throughout Citibank. And uh, we went back and forth on that and then uh, took the work that was did there. They did some rapid prototyping, brought back to New York, did two more days. And by the end of it, the people inside City who uh, were developing all these tools and had a fairly robust and sophisticated methodology to gather customer requirements already said, this is the best tool we've ever seen to have those conversations. Give us everything you've got. We're going to start using it. So that's not to imply any, um, you know... Uh, any endorsement from that organization. But I witnessed the behind the scenes people, the people who are actually doing the app development were at the board working with end customers who are actually going to be using the final tool. 
And they were having these iterative conversations that almost within three minutes got past the initial requirements that they'd done some gathering on. Mm -hmm. And they really got into the details of, so how would you use this? When would you use it? Do you pull it? Would you do it on your phone? Would you use your left hand, your right hand? How would you enter the information? Would you would you enter the uh, details of the meeting you just had immediately after the meeting or when you sat in your car or when you got back to the office? But they were having conversations because the journey that we were mapping was a typical day in the life of, but it provided a framework on which to hang very specific discussions of how it would be used. And you could see the the user being able to communicate things in a real-world context, which was much beyond the sort of data that had been gathered prior to that through an interview session. Mm-hmm. And the designers kind of nodding their head and saying, okay, now I see, now I really get it. So, and it just short-circuited to, to get exactly the sorts of requirements that were required. And so that's how it differs. So a focus group is what I would picture is how you would get information from a customer on oh, yeah, a yeah, process. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So this is different again. I would say this augments the way things are done today. Voice of the customer, customer interviews, following them around, watch what they do, ask what they need, do uh, focus groups. All of those are good. But sometimes people, you know, and, and, you know, I do a lot of work lately with uh, global charitable organizations, right? right? I just got back from working with Save the Children last week Mm -hmm. uh, in London and uh, three weeks ago with the UNHCR as well. And we're trying to get down to that moment that matters when someone decides, are they going to support your cause or not? And you can ask them why they will or won't. And they may or may not tell you what they really think the answer is. They may not know themselves. So you can ask people and they don't really know. They're acting emotionally. They're not quite sure what their own motivations are. People will essentially not always be completely truthful, even if they're trying when they tell you things, but their behaviors will tell you what they're actually thinking and doing, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. People don't lie about what they say necessarily. But their behaviors definitely don't, right? Oh, so body language, facial expressions, or? Just looking at how customers are behaving. Do they engage with you willingly? Do they huh. come back for more? Do they give more? So the way we look at it, the main reason why we focus on customer attitudes and emotions as part of journey mapping is you want results, however you define them, right? More customers spending more money more often, engaging in self-service tools, recommending to others, not returning, whatever those results that you want. Mm-hmm are delivered by the behaviors exhibited by your customers. Do they buy? Do they buy more often? Are they happy? Do they rate you well? Do they use the tools that you provide? Do they recommend you to others? Mm -hmm. And their behaviors is determined by their attitudes towards you. Do you align with their goals? Do you meet their needs? Do they trust you, right? If you suggest trying this new product, this new service, this new way of doing things, will they give you a try? And as they exhibit those behaviors of trying those new things, they're having experiences which inform their attitudes. But business results are ta- are driven by customer behavior, yes. which is delivered by customer attitude, which is driven by their customer attitude. And that's why journey mapping focuses so much on trying to understand what those customer attitudes are. Huh. And when customers are really confused, upset, angry, uh, aren't you know they're they're frustrated, it's because they have needs that aren't being met. And we identify two kinds of needs. The first is a moment need. What are they trying to do? The second is an emotional need. Why are they trying to do it? Mm-hmm. And if you can figure out their emotional needs and why they're so upset, then it'll allow you to come up with solutions that are, you know, one, that work great. Two, are easy for the customers, even better. Three, hopefully, are meaningful for them. And if you can align yourself with what their actual needs are, you're, you've got a fan. Right? This must be why... Um Governments are starting to kick into this as well because you think of governments uh, and the services they offer almost as monopolies. You can only get a driver's license from Service Ontario. Right. 
Um, and I know that different government agencies are starting to think about this as they provide those services because it's about being a guardian of the public trust when mm -hmm. you're in the public sector. And they also want the citizens to think well of the government. Of course. Yeah. So even though I can't choose, I have to go to this place, I still, I'm imagining, have attitudes about that. Oh, yes. Citizens <laughs> have a lot of attitudes. And so do some of the employees that work for them. I remember doing a session a little while ago with a local municipality, and it was about a building approval process. And at one point, the customer had to go from one building to another to get something stamped and then come back, when really it could have been done at the first building. And I pointed that out to the people that were, you know, doing the mapping process. And one of the guys said, well, yeah, well, that's their problem. And I was like, yes, yes, it is. And yeah. it should be your problem because the role of a public servant is hopefully to serve the public. Yeah. Um, but looking at these sort of things systematically, using the journey mapping as a methodology, can really help people show empathy, see things systematically from somebody else's point of view. Most organizations aren't built to do this, no. right? People do it unless you're a psychopath or a narcissist. You know, right. most of us are able to have empathy, but it does take some effort. But it's often not done in the context of an organization, of a business, B2B, no. B2C, government, hospital, patient. It's those words, yeah. the attitude and empathy that's different for me. I've mm -hmm. ha Well, I do have attitudes and empathy. Yep, but in terms go. of the process, it's always been, what does the customer do next? And is right. that efficient? But I've never, ever thought, and how do they feel right now? What are they thinking? Why are they here? You know, that I want to read you mm -hmm. this quote I told you about, but I didn't share it with you before we started recording because I was trying, I was trying, thinking of doing a little bit of research before we started. And then I decided to stop first of all, because this quote <laughs> was confusing. And secondly, I thought, no, I'd rather just have you t explain it to me. But this is a McKinsey, uh, study that is an article is, is re referencing this McKinsey study. And it says, that the journey mapping visual representations go beyond just supplying touch points. They show the organic nature of the customer business relationship by providing greater visibility into how customers engage and how user content needs vary by segment to help marketers place the right content at the right point in the journey. And I found that very unhelpful. That's awful. <laughs> it's terrible. I mean, if I read it a few, that's the fifth time reading it, and yeah, I kind of yeah, get, yeah. all right, what is the customer <laughs> thinking? Can I put stuff in the right, right spot? Right. But it, it really doesn't tell me no. what it is. No. So I don't know if I start with the question, and you've, you've given some great background. What does it look like, or how do you do it? I don't know which well, is the, the good first the, question. Let, let me try to paint a mental picture, because this sure. is an audio thing, so I'll, I'll be yeah. a bit quick about it. There's resources available online. I'll mention a couple of websites. But it really starts with a pack of sticky notes yes. and a half dozen people and a few you know markers. And the first thing we do is we pick a real customer who's been on a real journey. And a journey can be 10-second interaction with an app. It can be 40-year 40 interaction with a with a, an insurance company, and I've okay. done both, right? Okay. But so a journey, just trying to get something done. It starts with a trigger point, a need, and it ends with uh, the customer sort of being happy or not being happy, completing what they wanted to or not. Getting right? what they needed or Getting not. Getting what they needed or not. So you have a real person. And then the second thing we do, we use these green sticky notes, generally 10, 12, 15, 20 steps on the wall, eye height. Uh, and the first step is, you know, Steve decides to open an account researches online, uh, visits a local branch, talks to whomever, you know, that that's one example. There's the process. It's a bit of a process, exactly, yeah. right? So, uh, but it's from always from the point of view of the customer. Uh -huh. Then the next thing we do is we use pink for people, blue for things, and these go under each one of the steps. We say, who are the people and things that the 
customer directly interacted with. Mm -hmm. And the group of six people are all working together, you know, four, five, six people. And we're populating that ecosystem, right? Who are the people who, and things that directly influenced the journey. Then the next step is uh, in yellow. We typically use the same colors because they take on some meaning as you work with them. Uh, We map the attitudes of the customer at every point. Now, Uh you don't pick a journey where everything works perfectly. You're not learning from that. Bill Gates says that your unhappiest customers are your best opportunity to learn. Mm -hmm. So we look at the 5 or 10% of things that aren't working necessarily well because continuous process improvement is all about finding things that aren't working and fixing it and doing it on an ongoing basis. And so we get inside the customer's head from their point of view. What are they thinking and feeling? It's not angry, confused, frustrated. It's like, oh, these things look great, or why did this break down, or this is a waste of my time. You know, there's advanced uh, journey mapping techniques uh, um, and uh, shortcuts that uh, I've seen spontaneously arise because people write WTF on the oh, attitude. Oh, yeah. yeah. It means why, it's, why, is that frust- why, mm-hmm. you know, why that's frustrating. Yes, sure. Or they'll write down FFS, which means far from satisfied. That's another yes, one. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So you get inside customers' heads. And this is the empathy part of it. If you were this 28-year-old person renting a car, if you were this six-year-old girl about to get a scan in an MRI machine, what does it look like to you? What does it feel like to you? What, what's going through your head? And we can all do this, but we don't often get a chance to do it. And right. sometimes by having groups of people talking about it and bouncing ideas around and writing it out, it really lets you see things. It lets you step outside your company and take an outside-in perspective. All too often, we're inside looking out, right? One of my favorite quotes is Tolstoy says, in all of literature, there's only two kinds of stories. Someone goes on a journey or a stranger comes to town. Same story, huh. different perspective, right? Yeah. And we're often the townspeople looking out. This is all about riding on the back of the horse with the stranger as he's approaching the town in the distance and tracking what he or she is doing as they go through and seeing and feeling things from their perspective because that explains the behaviors that are being exhibited. You mentioned Lean and Six Sigma earlier. So my short version of what those methodologies are about is Lean is essentially focused on reducing waste. Right. Uh, Six Sigma is about reducing inconsistency. Right. Agile is typically about reducing time. Journey mapping should be about reducing irrelevance. Oh, right? okay. So if you spend, and we see time and time again, organizations roll out new products or services, smart, well-meaning people spend all this time, and ta-da, and it's just you know met with a shrug of indifference by the people for whom it's been intended. Mm-hmm. Because those organizations aren't looking at it systematically end-to-end from the point of view of the people that this is designed to serve, and often it's just little changes in communication, expectations, how a product or service is being delivered can make a big difference in whether people are going to be willing to engage with you or will think about going in another direction. It's so interesting. Um, I am paperless billing for just about everything. Mm-hmm. And there's this one company that I haven't bothered because it's such a pain right. to do. Right. And um, finally I did it. I just... I was I could not believe that in today's day and age I had to fill out paperwork and mail it in. Right. I just couldn't right. believe it. Right. Um same goes for a pre-authorized debit from the bank account. If I can for the CRA, so Canada Revenue Agency, I can set up my account and I can log in using my bank, my bank security information. And I can talk about my income taxes and my social security, my social insurance number and all of those things online just by identifying myself with my bank account. But Mm -hmm. if I want to do pre-authorized debit for a number of other companies, again, I have to send them a void check. Right, right. Which is so frustrating to me. It just, I just can't be bothered. Right, 
And it's ridiculous. Yeah. And that's one of those cases. You want access to the functionality, but it's not easy. And because yeah. of that, they're, you know, they're not doing anything to retain your business. Yeah. Often you see that exhibited by people that are essentially in monopolies. Yes. Right? You know, yes. cable company, phone company, yeah. internet access companies, yeah. people like that, right? Yeah. But even they are figuring out that, you know, in the old days, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, those are the old days you know, now. Um, if you wanted, if, if a, um, a service provider uh, or manufacturer provided you with a product or service that didn't meet your needs, you'd be upset, you'd tell 10 people. Well, now, of course, you know, you can tell everybody on the That's internet. Right. And if you want to access a new product or service, you can ask the internet. Nowhere yes. to hide anymore, right? So a lot of these methodologies that were originally developed for uh, manufacturing, uh, you know, automotive and other industries, lean, six sigma, yes. and the like, all about which are all about saying there's no such thing as an acceptable defect rate. Right. These pro- these issues have root causes. Let's figure it out and let's make it better. Well, now we're trying to apply the same discipline to human-to-human interactions and to human emotions that guide people's decisions on whether they're going to engage with an organization or not. And doing that systematically, and journey mapping is probably the best way I'm aware of doing it from a design perspective, from human experience, Mm -hmm. um, that builds alignment, lets people provide their opinions. um, They learn mutually from one another. We try to select journeys that cross two or three or four touch points and departments and groups inside an organization. You know, so that the handoffs, this is that's typically where the gaps are. Yeah. So that the teams are talking to one another and rather than facing one another across a table in a confrontational way where everybody's trying to keep the same mental map in their heads, we're building a physical map on the wall. We're standing shoulder to shoulder. We're seeing it from the customer's point of view. And you get that moment where the teams are looking at it and going, okay, I, no wonder they're pissed off. So we need actually, to do better. You're actually, like you said, it augments the process map. So you have a a map on the wall of what's actually happening or what the customer's going through, but you've added these yellow stickies on that are now saying, how are they feeling, thinking, what's triggering their response or their next step, and what could you do about it? Yep. And then we take the people and things that are backstage, behind the scenes, we map all that out. Mm -hmm. The team as a group decides on one moment that matters. So the first half is building out the big picture. And so you've got all these sticky notes on the wall, different colors tell you things. There's a a flow from left to right, the way we're used to scanning information Western society. There's a hierarchy top to bottom where the top is abstract thoughts. Below that are actions, then concrete and physically present people and things, and then behind the scenes, people and things. Mm -hmm. So it's a hierarchy top to bottom as well as that flow left to right, as well as the visually dense information about all the the sticky notes and the colors. The move, add, delete paradigm is very simple. People interact with it. You know, they're using epistemic actions to touch and move and feel and shift things around. People are visual learners. People learn by interacting with uh, things visually. So it really unlocks a lot of creativity. And you start to see discussions like, well, if this agent had access to that system, then this would never have happened. And as people are talking about it, they're touching or pointing to those elements that are on the board. And no ambiguity. Everybody's following along exactly what you're saying, right? So the kind of conversations you have that are informed by using sticky notes on the wall tend to be much deeper, richer, more insightful. You're doing pattern recognition. It unlocks a lot of cognition. So there's a lot of sort of deep cognitive uh, learning and science that underlies this methodology. And people often think that these sorts of things need fancy schmancy um, software and tools and all that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nicole and I do our process mapping also on the wall with sticky notes. We don't have color codes. Um, It's that same sort of thing. Do you have a favorite story or um, an example of when there was like a huge aha for a customer as a result of journey mapping? 
the most recent that pops in my head, you know, other than a couple hundred, the yeah. most, <laughs> there's a few. Yeah, there's a few. But the most recent one I did was with, uh, with the UNHCR. So they're the fastest growing charitable organization in the world, supposedly, or one of in terms of revenue growth. And, um, and I've been traveling around uh, earlier this year um, in uh, Washington, uh, Sydney, Tokyo, Seoul, Hong Kong, uh, Copenhagen last year. We've got more work coming up now. But we're teaching donor journey mapping to these guys. So I was in the UK working with a team that included people from the Netherlands and France. And on the second day as we're going through it, we were mapping out the onboarding process for a new donor. And, you know, all the communications that are being sent out to thank and welcome and explain. And one of the women who was a senior person there said, it just hit me why we're doing this, right? Everything we're doing, as, as we mapped it out, it became clear that all the communications we're sending are about how fabulous we are and how important our mission is. But none of it was really helping to reinforce the needs of that donor. So I'm a donor. I have $1,000. I can spend the weekend right. in Paris or New York. I can get the latest smartphone. I can give it to a cause. What am I buying with my $1,000? Right. What needs am I trying to meet? And so with the donor experience journey mapping that we're doing, for example, we're trying to systematically look at it from that customer's point of view, from that donor's point of view. What needs do they have? What's motivating them to give? What kind of reinforcement do they need? You know, they want to be thanked and appreciated the same way that if you hold a door open for somebody, you're not right. doing it so they thank you. But if you don't get thanked, well, you kind of go, hmm, well, I'm not going to do that again for you. Right. So you need to be acknowledged, but you also want to know, am I making an impact? What is the difference? Humanize it for me, right? So that moment where she said, it really became clear to me when I looked at it, when I stepped inside the customer's shoes, it was clear why those communications perhaps don't resonate. So we're that could change us. their whole structure on what they're sending out and to, yeah. to whom? It, it just means doing little tweaks. Yeah. Some of the organizations I work with, I tell them, look, don't try to sell more. Try to get your customers to buy more. It's the same thing, but from a different perspective. Selling more, okay, we got to sell more. So how do we differentiate ourselves? How do we say how great we are? How do we denigrate the competition? Do we drop our prices? Whatever, whatever. It's all about the how, how, how. But if you start asking, okay, let's get our customers to buy more. You start asking questions like, well, why would they? Mm -hmm. What do we have that meets their needs? How do we align and understand their goals? Why would they trust us, mm -hmm. right? And you start answering those deeper questions, right? And typically, you know, you already have all the material available to you. Uh, it just, it's just a matter of repackaging, refocusing it, explaining it a little bit uh, differently. One of the organizations I work with, Indigo, I did a lot of uh, work with those guys. Uh, Which is one of my favorite examples of a company reinventing itself. Yeah. You know, books only to all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I did some work uh, about five years ago. Someone attended one of the sessions we did, took me up on the invitation to go on site, uh, did some work with them, got invited to work with their senior executive team. And as I understand, they've adapted the methodology. I've used it to, you know, they've been using it pretty extensively for online experiences, in-store experiences, new product lines that they do. One of the women that I was working with there, you know, when I chatted with her six months later said, you know, one of the things that has come out of this is that we're automatically making decisions based on how is it going to impact the people that we're doing this for. Right. It's not, you know, we're going to put this out there. It's how are people going to receive it? Mm -hmm. And it just, a lot of the other stuff falls away that people, companies are thinking, should we do A, B, C, or D? When you look at it from the company's, uh, the point of view of the customer, they go, well, C is the one that matters. A, B, and D, that's just your own internal processes. Yeah. C is what's going to make a difference. 
So it really kind of changes how organizations start thinking systematically from the customer's that, point of view. Does it take long? Uh, does it take, I don't mean the actual process of doing the map, but for the company to change their way of thinking. I'm thinking again of the yeah. government. When yeah. you look at them, they are trying to make things easier for people. I believe they've done a lot of improvements and there's a long way to go. Oh, yeah. And changing that culture would seem prohibitive for some organizations. It, how does that work? Well, good question. So, uh, and there's no right or perfect answer. Maybe a third of the hundreds of organizations I've done this with and for have really embraced it, and, and which to me seems like a pretty good seems ratio, like good relatively number, yeah. speaking. You know, my analogy on that is, you know, the New Year's come around and you want to get fit and lose weight, so okay. you go to a gym and do a tour. And one of three things happen. You say, you know, I really should join this gym, and you don't because life <laughs> intervenes, yes. right? Uh, and then there's the, I'm going to try this. I'll do the one-month trial, uh, and then you go for a week or two, and then your kid gets sick, or you go on vacation, or you get a big project at work, and, and it kind of peters out. Right. Right? And then the third option is, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I need. I'm in. Hmm. Right? So it's not, I should. It's not, I, I'll try. It's, I'm in. Right? And I find the same thing inside organizations. Some organizations are ready. You need a champion to drive it. That champion can live anywhere inside an organization. Uh, and you need a culture that's ready for the change. And it can be a local furniture retailer. It can be a multinational um, manufacturer. It can be any, it can be a government. It can be a charity. It can be a hospital. It can be a university. It just needs somebody to, to stand up in front of their colleagues with some sticky notes and say, let's try this, right? Mm -hmm. And the purpose of the first journey map is, is not to see if you're going to transform your company. It's to see if you want to do a second one. Right? Oh, I like that. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, I read this article on a plane a few years ago. The woman who created a dating, uh, an executive dating site, let's, uh, or it, it's just it's just lunch, she said the purpose of the first date is not to see if you want to get married, it's if you want to have a second date. Oh, right? yes. And so if you start and you're happy with the results and you felt the time was well spent, then do it again. Mm -hmm. And invite people above you in the chain and below you in the chain and your colleagues on either side and see if you're having good results with it. So that's the kind of work that I, I do. I mean, you can learn the methodology in about a day, day and a half would be kind say, of an ideal introduction. training or The tools are all available outside and, uh, online and it's free. My website, structuredempathy.com, the second page is resources. It links to designing CX, which is uh, something done by Oracle. I help contribute some of the material there. Everything's there for mm -hmm. free and online. You, you know, there are other organizations that do it using somewhat proprietary uh, approaches. Right. But... This works just fine. Having an introduction to it by somebody who knows it and can explain, here's what the next step is, here's why you're going to do it, here's how you're going to do it, here's some context and yeah. some stories to make it real, that's fine. But I find a three-hour introduction and then a second time you try it yourself on your own and then the third time, now the flow makes sense, the steps make sense. The whole thing takes about, there's about 18 steps. It takes and do about you, two hours. do you break it apart by, okay, today we're going to talk about product X and tomorrow we'll talk about product Y or do you break it apart by departments and everything they do? How is it chunked out? Uh, often by customer segment, by what's the urgent project, what's currently broken, right? Who's in the room? I mean, I've worked with organizations where I come in and start with marketing, others mm -hmm. with sales, others with service, others with implementation. Mm -hmm. And then we go back the second and third time because people don't know what it is. It's an experiential thing. You have to do it. Right? I, it sounds very experiential. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, this is like dancing about architecture, talking about journey mapping on a, on a podcast, right? Yes. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> dancing about architecture? <laughs> yes. <yeah. laughs> it's well, a quote from something. It's yeah. true. I mean, we've done the same with process mapping. Right. People and don't get it until they do it. You have to, and 
hopefully people listen to this and they go online and they look it up right. and they get a sense of See what it looks pictures, like. See some pictures, do a little research, say, yeah. huh, interesting. And there's enough material that if you're bold and inclined and have some friends inside work and, hey, let's try this. Mm-hmm. I know some organizations that have just self-started and done it themselves. Mm-hmm. Others I've done remotely. And what do they do a, a, a at the end one. of it? So we've done a journey map. Right. We've had our session. We've got it. Now what? So going back, the first thing is we build the whole map, what happened and why, the ecosystem, and then mm-hmm. the elements of the eventual solution are on the board. Next step is we choose one moment that matters that we're going to fix. Then we talk about user needs, you know, what's broken and why, what needs aren't being met. We talk about the impact on the business. When a customer decides, no, I'm not going to do this, or I'm unhappy, or they might quit, what's the impact on the business? And if you can't show a business impact to improving these journeys, you'll never get get the support, you'll never uh, initiate the change. I read that in 2017, this is my research stat. Oh, good, uh, we have those. $1.6 trillion was lost in the U.S. because of customers leaving or switching to competition because of a bad customer experience. There's all kinds of data that That's show that sort of, of stuff. You can lose you can lose oh. a customer on one experience. You can. Yeah. But it's unfair to say it's because of that one experience. It's an accumulation yeah. of the impressions that were made yeah. by the dozens of other experiences they've had. Yeah. And companies that are authentically trying to get things right, if you align with the your customers' values and they believe and see that, they'll stick with you when there's some bumps in the road. Sure. But often it's the straw that broke the back because, you know, they're like, That's it. I'm now motivated to say goodbye to you. And that churn that used to always just slosh around inside an organization or in, inside an industry or a segment is now accruing to the people who get it right. There's a direct correlation on the S&P 500 a company called Watermark looks at uh, customer experience scores yeah. and correlates it to profitability. Yeah. And there's different ones that have been done you know, comparing uh, leaders and laggers inside different segments. But there's a clear and consistent uh, yeah. connection between organizations that have very high customer experience scores and their profitability. And the point I always make when I talk to the clients is it's not that companies that are profitable can afford to offer good experiences. It's that companies that figure out how to offer compelling experiences are more profitable. Yeah. And so Gallup did a study like that and they added employee engagement as well. And they said employee engagement is a direct correlation on customer experience. Yep. Which yes. is a direct correlation on profitability. Yes. And I imagine that the concept of the experiential experience, which is not mm-hmm. right, but the experience <laughs> of doing a journey map with a team engages people more and they can For fix sure. that one thing that matters most and move on from and there. Then, and do it again mm-hmm. and learn from your colleagues and get alignment with them and mm-hmm. see that they have challenges similar to your own. It's mm-hmm. always easy to blame somebody else, oh, right? Oh, sure. Um, and so customer experience is considered to be the last sustainable competitive differentiator now, yeah. right? You know, if you've got a product or service that you innovate, others copy, your competitors innovate, you've yeah. got to keep up, your price has to reflect the perceived value. Yeah. But that experience you're offering is what is going to differentiate you uh, from your competitors And in it the doesn't long. matter if you're offering a service or a product or a driver's license. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I may have to go back to get my driver's license to the same place, but... I'll talk about it online, and it will impact what I think of my political leaders who are in charge at the time. And that's why they're paying attention to some of these things finally, right? Because people have heightened expectations. There's a trend now amongst, you know, Apple and Southwest and Amazon, their customer satisfaction scores are dropping. Mm. And it's not that they're getting stuff wrong. They're still trying to do better. It's that people have higher expectations now, right? And the organizations that are just not trying it, not thinking about it, not caring about it, not investing in it, uh, they're going to start losing more and more market I would share. like you to next work with airports. 
<laughs> I have done some work yeah. with airlines. Have you? Yes, indeed. <laughs> For sure. I don't know. Baggage handling. Some of it's oh. fascinating. Here's a story. You know, we haven't done a story in a while yeah. that I heard. So okay. don't hold me to anything right. on this. But uh, Denver International Airport got so efficient that they had, you know, your gate is here, and just a minute or two walk away is the carousel for your baggage. Right. And it would take six minutes to get your bags out there, which is like record time in the industry. So people would come off the gate, they'd walk over to the carousel, and then they'd wait five minutes. And so they complain, why are we yeah. waiting so long? Yeah. So what they did is they shut down the, 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 the hallway leading there and forced people to walk six minutes, Right. Oh, no. Force them to walk five minutes to the carousel. Everybody expects it. Uh-huh. So, okay, we got to go left, go down this hall, go right here, follow the signs. You get there. Luggage shows up in a minute. Everybody's happy. Do you know that I just went through that <laughs> in Denver? And I thought, where am I? Where is the stupid carousel? And why is it so far away? <laughs> That's why. No. Uh, yeah. The initial process design that they'd come up with was very efficient in terms sure. of how long Too it took efficient, to get there. Too efficient. people want to complain So people about got something. there before the stuff did. But they were still getting the bags out faster than just about any other airline. But people got there before their bags did. So it wasn't a process. Uh, it was a human interaction. Yeah, yeah. Right? And that's what journey mapping does. It tries to look at that from a systematic point of view. I love it. Yeah. What a great new funny, tool. Eh? And a, a whole different... I love this idea, the perspective of uh, let's not sell, let's get them to buy. Right. And it's just a small twist in your perspective. You go from the hows to the whys. Yeah. Why? And now you're aligning with people. Now you're really understanding their behavior as much as anybody can. Daniel uh, Kahneman's uh, book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, is excellent. It's a dense book, hard to get through because every page and a half I stop and I think about stuff. But he covers a lot of these cognitive biases. There's a great Wikipedia article about it as well. Some great stuff there, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you. My pleasure. Um, Empathy.com. you said. Yes, ma'am. Anything exciting coming up that people should look for or... I know you do webinars or that people might want to be interested in. Well, we're thinking about running some events uh, locally. We did one uh, in Toronto that Mm -hmm. was very well attended. It followed a trade show that I did. I had 50 people uh, come to that one. Really nice turnout, good feedback, and it's leading to some other uh, work. And that'll be on your website? Yeah, if we have. I'm thinking about actually running one pretty soon for charitable organizations. It's something I really like doing. All right. So... Well, thank you very much. My that pleasure, was Ruth. really cool. Did I to talk learn too much? About. No, <laughs> great. So, well, you can tell you're from the East Coast. You got a great, I know. great I know. Uh, storyteller. Um, <laughs> and answer. yeah, so everyone else, uh, you can always find us at whiteboardconsulting.ca uh, or our post, our publication on medium.com is called At the Whiteboard. And uh, we will be talking coming up soon about healthcare. Um, and some process improvement things that you can do just looking around. One of the things that we're trying to get across, Brian, is that um, it doesn't have to be fancy. People can do this stuff um, with a piece of paper and and sticky notes and think about the perspective even of the patient when they're doing healthcare transactions. And a lot of hospitals in Toronto are actually doing a lot of work in process improvement. Yeah, my wife uh, does uh, consulting in on that side of things, and we're probably going to attend an upcoming patient experience cool. um, a session here because there's a lot of work being done in that way. And so, yeah, pick up some sticky notes, yeah. read up a little bit about yeah. this, download some of the materials off my website, uh, pick something uh, big enough to be worth doing, small enough that you can influence. I like it. Right? Yeah. Because that's one of the outputs when you do the journey mapping. Yeah. Uh, is let's prototype something. Let's right? do it. All right. Thanks again. And uh, until Thanks, next Ruth. time, everybody. Bye.